Welcome to episode 95 of the Becoming Human podcast. This episode features Mark Nelson. Mark's been climbing mountains for over 50 years since he was five years old. It was a joy to be able to listen to Mark recount his experience growing up in the mountains and then introducing it to his children. As a father myself, I'm constantly problem-solving the different ways I can expose my son to the outdoors in, in the name of curiosity and interest as opposed to um, a militant desire to push my passion on him. Because when you're doing demanding and hard things, right, it can be uncomfortable. And as a, as a parent, it's hard for me what to make of that. When you're doing something arduous and you want to quit as an adult, think of it as a child. And with without all of the filters that we have and coping mechanisms. And then I come into the moment where I ask myself, what is joy and what is the purpose of doing this thing that I ask of him? Is it for my own idea of how one should spend their time or what enjoyment is? And then I would wonder if I'd be deluded. But that all comes full circle at the end of the trip when all we talk about are the high moments or when we've reached the top of the mountain and we're able to drink the quiet and watch the wind wisp the clouds in the sky. And I know that deep down he enjoys it such as I do. And in moments of doubt, I would merely look to his experience at school, where he writes stories of adventuring into the backcountry and climbing mountains and descending into caves. <laughs> and it's reassuring. It was a pleasure to sit with Mark. He's such a great conversationalist. And you can check out Mark on Instagram at outside.addict um, and I'll be sure to leave that in the show notes if you'd like to support the show please share the podcast with a friend or rate it on Instagram or iTunes, Google Play wherever you happen to find it check us out on becominghumanpodcast.com I'll play you in with a little Christoph Crane leave the summer enjoy Someone else alive who feels the same as I do If I take a stand and follow my God Perhaps I'll become the leader in the eyes If I go blind tomorrow still Caught in the past, not afraid to admit If lost, I gotta ask what's the task I've been given Cause if I miss what I pass on the path When it twists, there'll be no journey in the visit Like it already happened but didn't I'm not alone, that's all I really need For the comfort and realization that nothing is guaranteed I want nothing in return but the peace that something stolen Once I find out where it was, I'd say I knew and so I don't
free roaming <laughs> everywhere and uh, uh, into the woods, climbing trees, um, <laughs> you know, roasting marshmallows like any kid would do. Mm-hmm. And, no, that's my son's favorite part still. Right. Like <laughs> the big family station wagon with the big tent in the back. And, oh yeah, you know, and that's where it all started. And as we got, I got older, and we got older. Um, started heading more towards the mountains and putting packs on our backs. So, mm-hmm. what, what time did when did that start? When you would go into like more mountaineering kind of trips? Um, I think the first time or the first peak, I think, is my first one would be Ruth Mountain, mm. and Ruth Mountain was um, 1971. It was August of 1971, and I was eight years old. Mm-hmm. And oh. Ruth Mountain is a two-day trip for most people. Mm-hmm. Um, some do it in one. Mm-hmm. So there was probably five of us on that trip, I think, total people. I do remember maybe another kid. Um, but uh, we had three members of the Skagit Alpine Club and a, and a couple other kids on that trip. And uh-huh. we hiked in and camped above Treeline <laughs> and uh, spent the night, up, you know, 6,000 feet or so right at the base of Ruth Mountain. <laughs> and the next day got up and climbed to the top of it. Wow. But what I remember the most about that, and I think this is the most significant trip, I think that set the stage for the rest of my life, Mm -hmm. was that one night, or the only night there, we stayed one night, um, I believe it was the Perseid meteor shower, from what I remember. Ooh. Because we were in a tent, and I remember it was dark, and my father said, hey, let's just slide out of the tent. And what we did is we slid our heads out of the tent mm-hmm. and uh, looked up at the night sky and watched meteors for a good half hour. Wow. And I remember, I was only like eight years old, and, and I thought I was very impressed. And I mm-hmm. remember that to this day. Um, the people we were with, um, my dad, my dad's two best climbing buddies, um, mm-hmm. both teachers at the time. Um, oh, you're in a great environment. Yeah, for, yeah. And, and one and one actually quit teaching and became a uh, full time nature photographer. <laughs> and he's a local by the name of Lee Mann. <laughs> um, and uh, I remember waking up in the morning. And we started off, and had, this is a snow hike. This is a glacier, and we roped us up. And I've got this rope tied around my waist, you know, bowling on a coil. Nobody does that anymore. And we get up to the snow line and step out on the snow, and it's early in the morning, and it's rock hard. Mm-hmm. And we had no crampons with us or anything like that. And uh, oh, so what happened was the 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 older the guys they started chipping away at the ice and made steps and Mm -hmm. as the day warmed up obviously the snow got softer Mm -hmm. and by the time we got to the top we didn't need to chop steps anymore and here we are on top of ruth mountain and uh one of my most memorable trips i've ever done and that was 71 it was wow i was a youngster yeah that's pretty incredible. Yeah. Were you um, excited throughout or were there any like um, nervous being up on the ice moments? You know, I don't remember anything like that. It was yeah. so new to me. I didn't have any fear of it. Mm-hmm. Um, being roped up obviously felt good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was with three Sorry. mountaineers, you know, mm-hmm. that knew what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad and his two, two buddies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, having that level of... Yeah, having that level of um, 
what is it? Technical experience, even if you don't understand it from like a, a child's perspective, but you can just feel it in the tone of voice and people's body language. Mm -hmm. um, from what I could tell just in being in the school system. Um, and that's very reassuring, right? Yeah, I, I, I remember, you know, being with these guys and they were, you know, so knowledgeable mm -hmm. and passing that on to the kids that were with us. Um, it was a great experience. Um, what was their relationship with, uh, with children? Like, did they try to actively take kids out into the back country? Cause I'm in the scenario where my son's friends, um, right. They're like really interested in it. And now I'm starting to take them on backpacking trips and like showing them, you know, how to, how to have fun back, backcountry experiences because they're just used to car camping which is awesome but you know there's this whole other layer of experience for them yeah and like i said we we started off camping and we wanted more mm -hmm. the kids wanted to go do more let's go backpacking and that backpacking turned into climbing mm -hmm. and uh my dad and his buddies everybody had children and of course we're they're going to take them along and that's what happened. And <laughs> and when you have more bodies around, more kids running around, it's a lot more fun <laughs> for everyone. Yeah. yeah. That's what I've noticed with uh, the backpacking experiences is that the more kids around my son's age, actually, there's just more kids in general, right? Even if there is like a pretty big gap between the ages uh, is really helpful and also really interesting because I've brought uh, ch children who are younger than my son. My son's seven. So to have like on a really light experience, mm -hmm. right? Maybe a good warm up. Um, there'd be a four-year-old along. And then my son's playing like mentor, like, cause I could watch him. Cause where he's, my son would have trouble like um, testing the bounds, right? Of uh, in unsafe areas, right? Um, or even having like a hard time waiting for waiting for food. Um, but when there, you introduce like a four-year-old, then he's sitting there like, oh, not right now. And he's starting to like mentor Mm -hmm. and fulfill that role. And then with an older kid, like I can see my son being mentored. And mm -hmm. it's, it's a really cool dynamic, mm -hmm. you know, to be a part of. Sure. Um, right. And with the Skagit Alpine Club, is that like what people would think of uh, a martial arts gym or a running club where people get together frequently and there's a very tight-knit community? Or um, uh, Yeah, um, I still am involved a little bit with the Alpine Club. I know mm -hmm. they've been around a long time. Um, I say 1960. It was wow. just a group of people that got together that had this common interest and formed a group. <laughs> and um, it's just grown from there and it keeps going. I guess you would be very similar to the Seattle Mountaineers, for example, mm -hmm. but much smaller, just local Skagit County people. Yeah, I see. Um, and looking back on your youth, uh, how has it informed your parenting with your children? Um, uh, very, very similar. And I did with mine what my dad did to us. You know, I started them off skiing really, really young. Son was skiing, dad was skiing at four years old. At four years old? Wow. Well, so, some people would say that that's like, that's nerve wracking or risky. What would you say to that? Uh, absolutely not. You know, I, I, I think that... Um, for me, it'd be nerve wracking, but for the kid, he's having a great time mm -hmm. or my daughter having a great time. Um, I think they learned that weather doesn't matter what kind of weather 
<laughs> we have we're going skiing mm -hmm. and weather does not bother them at all they just oh. know to bundle up now and the stormy it is the better mm -hmm. um just having a great time and starting them really really young like that um they learn so quickly mm -hmm. uh, falling down doesn't hurt <laughs> yeah right <laughs> and uh they have no fear it's my job to protect them from that mm -hmm. um my son now i still have to watch out for him he's 17 and uh he's doing backflips and all kinds of these crazy things and skiing some really steep stuff and i've got to keep him under control just mm -hmm. like he was when he was four yeah <laughs> right um but he he and uh my daughter have definitely surpassed me in their skills mm -hmm. um that's the sign of a great teacher when mm -hmm. those students move beyond the ability of the teacher yeah right? and they have done that um they they've been backpacking with me they haven't done a lot of climbing mm -hmm. um it's just something i don't know they didn't seem too interested in they've done some rock climbing um no major peaks at all like that mm -hmm. but they've really enjoyed skiing cross-country skiing um, how do you how do you personally gauge that or what boundary would you set like try it a few times and let's see what happens yeah yeah um you know my daughter tended to be the older of the two she had the advantage of going on more trips i think <laughs> than her brother uh <laughs> she enjoys the outdoors more mm -hmm. uh, when she was eight we did a 50 miler together Whoa. ended up in stahican spent a couple days in stahican and rode the boat out Whoa. Um, her well, brother at that time was a little too young he was only like Mm -hmm. and so he came up on the boat spent a couple days and then they rode out together and and i hiked out wow so, how long did it take for you guys to do the um the trip to stahican well we took a roundabout way mm -hmm. we yeah that's we the best way man we didn't go straight in there like mm -hmm. say we wandered around for about 50 miles before we hiked in the in wow. stahican spent three nights out on the trail and um one night uh no tent just tentless with an eight-year-old wow and yeah cowboy yeah. camping or cowgirl Ab camping yeah, yeah absolutely yeah <laughs> that's yeah. so cool and, and that's the best they just love that there's no reason to have a tent we're just going to sleep on the ground and look at the stars mm, yeah. yeah right that's awesome and, and throughout like a tr throughout that trip in particular were there any discomfort or uncomfortable moments that that she had as a kid yeah there was actually one mm -hmm. where it was time to wash <laughs> <laughs> right yes because you've been out for two days oh, yeah. and it's time to clean up and uh <laughs> yeah. yeah have to bathe a little bit in four days right oh yeah yeah so it's time i think to wash your hair mm -hmm. and of course you have stream water which is like one degree oh freezing. yeah yeah and that was the only breakdown we had we lathered her up pretty well with her hair but mm -hmm. dumping the cold water over her head was n no fun yeah no brain freeze right oh my gosh yeah. otherwise she just did fantastic never like my legs are tired none of those no wow. not at all yeah she carried a little pack that had a little stuffed animal and a book, and I carried most of the other equipment. But yeah, like the three pound, four pound yeah, mark, right? Yeah, there were five of us on the trip, and she was the only kiddo. So oh wow, yeah, and still so talks cool. about it today. No about way. That trip. Oh yeah, it comes up all the time. Oh. It's just a fabulous memory for her, and yeah. Mm -hmm. And so now we're talking about possibly the Wonderland Trail this summer. Ooh, the Wonderland yeah. Trail is yeah. beautiful from yeah, what I I've hear. I've never done it, and she hasn't either. And she, now she's 20, and it's time to go do something like that. So, oh, that'll be a yeah. lot of fun, especially being able to to um, be with your kids on that level too, right? Right. And so right. you're able to share the things. But you already, it sounds like you already shared, like, 
a lot of what you did with your children. Because that's the thing that in certain circles that, that I was raised in, exposed to throughout like school and through work, is that there would always be a, 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 a circle for adult. Of course, there's boundaries, right? And I'm not saying you don't have boundaries, but like a circle for adult activity and then a circle for children activity. And it's like like the equivalent of crouching down real low to talk to a child, right? Is right. child activity. Like the things that are kind of um, pulled back. And, and in some respect, like, I understand that and I do that myself, but it doesn't limit my son from, you know, if he wants to go out into the back country, let's go do that. Like, mm -hmm. you know, um, and, and I think that it, it's imp important to tr give them the opportunity, I think, to be able to push themselves and explore uh, even relative risk. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> when we did this trip, some of it was off trail, too. We left the trail. And, oh, the um, best part. Yeah, yeah, and we had a rope along, and we did some scrambling. Kind of mm -hmm. took some shortcuts, you know, and here and there, and uh, yeah, it was, it's fantastic. It oh was, wow! It was it was four days of beautiful weather. So. <laughs> when you're um, raising your kids, was it difficult for you to be able to get moments where you can go out into the outdoors, um, or was your schedule pretty unrestricted? Um, with my kids, or. Or just by myself. Just by yourself. Yeah, yeah, that's the tricky part, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I have an understanding wife that knows me really well, <laughs> and she would notice that it would be time for me to leave. Mm -hmm. And she would mention that. I think you need to go to the mountains. Why don't you call one of your friends and, and make some plans? Mm -hmm. Because you can only go so long, and you need it. Yeah. You know, and I crave it. And she can tell that in how I'm acting around the house. <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so go get it out of your system. Come back in a couple of days and we'll continue on kind of a thing. So oh. that's that's been really great. I, I do know um, the concern for me going out climbing mountains with mm -hmm. young kids mm -hmm. um, was a big concern of hers. Mm -hmm. And we, we took some steps to help with that. What uh, kind of steps? If uh, obviously, um, you know, communication, um, making sure that I was leaving detailed notes of where I was going, who I was with, when I'd be back, uh, took out a little bit more of an insurance policy. <laughs> yes. Right? Exactly. Um, so having a mortgage and having a couple kids and if something happened in the mountains, we'll make sure that they're provided for. Mm -hmm. um, highly unlikely that was gonna happen. Mm -hmm. um, but it was always in the back of my mind too when I was out there. And I'm sure it was in my mother's mind <laughs> also when my dad was dragging us out into the hills. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So makes sense. And you know, and you talked about that climb the Mount St. Helens mm -hmm. when I was nine. You know, yeah, that was a biggie, and that was pre-eruption 1972. Whoa, that was pre-eruption. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Wow, I was only nine years old on that one. All right, and there was again my father, his two best climbing buddies, and you know, and they had been in mountain rescue also. So these guys mm -hmm. are really skilled, and and it was a weekend. They drove down to Mount St. Helens, and at that time. You could drive to the north side, mm -hmm. and we camped, spent the night um, just in a little tent, and got up the next day and went to the top of Mount St. Helens. Wow. I had some problems with altitude sickness. Mm -hmm. you know. Whoa, tell me about that. Um, as we got higher and higher and higher, I began to get a headache. Mm -hmm. And remember, this is mostly from what my father has told me lately, yeah. <laughs> because I was only nine. I can't remember exactly what was going on. Um, but we've got some great pictures of that trip. Mm -hmm. uh, lots of crevasses back then, so we were all roped up. 
And interesting, I was wearing blue jeans, had leather boots on, and a button-up cardigan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and we're going to 9,000 feet. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> All right. And what was really interesting about that, and looking back on the pictures, you know, I've got these glacier goggles on, and um, zinc oxide smeared on my face mm-hmm. and on my nose. And Where's the zinc oxide from? That is, it was called Clown White, uh-huh. and at that time it was sunscreen. That's all there was oh. available for sunscreen at that. Wow. In 1972, right? No way, what? Yeah, yeah it would be like uh, the old pictures of lifeguards with the white nose. Oh, that's what that was? Exactly, right. So oh. this was on my lips and on my nose and wearing these old goggles and... I have a wooden ice axe with me in mm-hmm. the photos, which I still have today. Oh, that's a memory. Hanging up in the garage, yeah. And uh, as we got higher, um, I wasn't feeling very well at all. Pounding mm-hmm. headache, a little nausea. Um, but my dad, being the guy he is, has continued to push me, push me, push me. Mm-hmm. Knew I had a little bit more and got me to the top of Mount St. Helens. We got pictures um, at 9,600 feet, signing the summit register at that Ooh. time. Um, as soon as I did that, I laid down in the pumice and <laughs> just <laughs> laid there. And my dad put his old um, down jacket on me. Mm-hmm. And I know that they watched me for a while and they had a discussion about how bad I really was. Mm-hmm. And at that time, everybody had Kelty frame packs, the big red Kelty frame packs. And he said he had discussed with his climbing partners to take everything out of his frame pack, cut leg holes in the bottom of the pack and put me in it and carry me down. Ooh. And he said, since I heard that conversation about carrying me down, he said, I stood up and I was still roped up and everything. Mm-hmm. And we started heading down the hill. What? <laughs> And he's, with each step, I felt better and better. And then we did a couple safe glissades, which was mm-hmm. totally fun for a nine-year-old. Wait, what's a glissade just for the people oh, out okay. there? Oh, okay. When you're mm-hmm. glissading, is like sitting on your bottom and just sliding down the snow. Wait, so you're telling me it's like the best sled ride ever? Best sled ride ever. Oh. Like a thousand foot sled ride. Yeah. A thousand feet? <laughs> How do you stop? Oh, yeah, ice axe in your hand. Again, we were still roped up, too, so mm-hmm. they had some control over me. And oh. we're on a glacier, too, so you had to be a little bit careful where you were going and <laughs> didn't want to slide into one of those. But uh, Into, like, a crevasse, right? Exactly. How would you avoid? How would you know not to slide into one of those? Like, uh, you could see them coming. Plus, we ascended that way mm-hmm. towards the summit, so we they knew the route where the safe places to Oh, wow. the sade was so we just sit down and everybody would slide rather than walking <laughs> and that would really drop the elevation really quickly mm-hmm. so bet. as we got lower and lower I was feeling better and better and the next thing he said I was running down the hill and we got down you know, closer to the car and he said I turned to him and let's go back and do that again. Oh, <laughs> yes. That's so cool. So new life. And I had a great time. Let's go back up and so we can slide back down again. Yeah. And uh, we went back two years later when I was 11 and climbed it again. Oh. And that was the last time before the 1980 eruption. Mm-hmm. So it was closed for about seven years. And then when it was opened back to climbing again, my dad and I went back and did it again. Oh, that must have yeah. meant a lot to you. Yeah. And for people out there, too, given that you're roped up, right, and if you're uh, glissading, you're sliding down the ice, um, if something were to happen to you, you're not really going to go really far. Like, the risk is really managed. 
Yes, right. absolutely. Yeah. Right. It's Everybody's probably trained to do what's called an ice axe arrest. Mm -hmm. um, roll over and jab the ice axe in the snow and stop everybody from sliding. And yeah. if you couldn't be trusted to do that at your age. No, then. not at all. Yeah, That's exactly. Not, that was something I learned um, when I was 15. Mm, that makes sense. Yeah. And how would they mitigate, from what you could remember, or how would you now, should say, uh, how, would you, how would you stop the child? In that scenario how would i stop a child yeah uh first of all if i'm glissading also i'm just going to mm. dig my heels in <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah yeah and, and stop sliding and the, and the, the child would be ahead of me on the road mm -hmm. and they would slow down also or if we're really moving fast i'd roll over on my stomach and and jab the ice axe mm -hmm. in the snow sounds so, safer than sledding it is it, yeah Right. It is. You're roped together. Yeah. Yes, exactly. As yeah. I've had a time where I was sledding with my son and there was like a, a frozen over like pond section. This was a park that was like groomed for sledding in the winter. Um, but there was a frozen over like pond section and we hit it and then I almost fell on top of him. And then the sled went out from under me and he got more hurt than any of my experiences in the back country. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, I felt bad, man. <laughs> <laughs> we're only going like a, like a few feet. Yeah. <laughs> like right. feet. Yeah. yeah. It's fun. It's, it makes all that climbing worthwhile when you can slide down. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. That's, that's how it is for me when it comes down to, um, to running. I haven't gotten into back country, like skiing, right. Or skinning, uh, we're skiing uphill for people who don't know. And then, skiing down except mm. i don't really know much of it but i know that i would love it because that's the only reason why i climb mountains is so that i can run down if i run up a mountain it is only so that i can spend all that time on single track running down there you go right then, except with rock climbing i i don't know if i prefer to repel or just to do some technical climbing but yeah it's 50 50 right know? and you've done enough repelling that you know it's it's a good time it's mm -hmm. fun also yeah, yeah. a little oh, yeah. scary but it's a good time glissading is the same way right mm -hmm. yeah and th those things are like yeah definitely moments to live for and those yeah. are some of the experiences that like my son because I, I guess like unlike those experiences my son will have like a meltdown when we're you know out there and it's usually like i'm too tired um and even when i'm slowing the pace down and mm -hmm. I, i'll pick him up completely fine non-reactionary as I can be just offering solutions and being patient because just out there for him right yeah um but when he returns from those trips all he remembers um or at least all he talks about is are those like highlight experiences mm -hmm. and then when I talk to people who work at like the school that he goes to that's all that he talks about there and it's as if like none of those meltdowns happen yeah. Well, I, I guess it's the same for me because, like, I remember a few times when I've been climbing, when I've, okay, running in particular. I went and ran the, the Chilliwack Loop off mm -hmm. of um, Highway 542 up the, the North Baker Highway near Bellingham, and it's like a 36-mile loop. And I was going to just do a nice, do a run, start early in the morning, and then finish out, you know, I have at least until, like, 7 p.m., right? I give myself plenty of time. And... I start bonking. It's like it's two, 2,500 feet uphill to uh, Hannigan Pass, and that's like five miles in. And then from there, I ran like six more miles, six, seven more miles, and it was all gradual downhill. It was so much fun. And for people who are used to like running downhill, man, it doesn't take, it's not like effortless, but it's a lot of fun. It's easy to get lost in it. Mm hmm. And once I got to the bottom of that and I started climbing up, I was bonking. And it was really hard to maintain focus and to put out effort. And 
I was worried the rain started coming in. It was just, I ended up turning around and repeating the, the 12 miles that I came in. Um, and the whole time there, it was just a rough slog. I was doing anything that I could to like, I'd take some naps. I would just anything I could to make it to the car. Right. Mm-hmm. And by the time that I got there, I'm like, man, well, why, why do I do this? What, what's, what's the point? Right. And then I'm like, a few days pass and I'm looking back at pictures and I was thinking about it and I'm like, that was so much fun. Right. <laughs> like, I loved it so much. The pain is only temporary, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. And I think that's, that's one of the ideas or one of the, the concepts I learned from being out in the mountains. It was some really hard days. Um, really hard for adults, let alone mm-hmm. an eight-year-old or nine-year-old. And I think to this day, it was that grit that it taught me, that mm-hmm. that toughness, that mental toughness that I can go a lot further than I think I could go. Mm-hmm. And I still carry that with me today. Um, I know it's going to hurt for a while sometimes, but uh, I can get through it. And it's going to be temporary. Mm-hmm. And looking back on it is going to be great memories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Those mm-hmm. are the ones you remember the most. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, the burdens worth shouldering, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I try to instill that in my kids, too. Mm-hmm. That, that, yeah, it's going to hurt right now, but mm-hmm. it's going to go away. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever, um, like, think about uh, how you were conveying that message and, like, what ways to do it best? Well, again, with my, with my daughter taking her out on that 50-miler, mm-hmm. you know, we had some tough days there, too. We walked a long ways. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it wasn't easy. You know, but like you said, though, she remembers the the fun times, even though there was some pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same thing with my son. Um, more physical activity that was really difficult for him. Mm-hmm. Um, he's carried that with him now. Now he's a three-sport athlete, mm-hmm. and, and I think those early days on skis and on trails has really... Um, made him what he is mm-hmm. right now as a 17 year old yeah. yeah i think that's interesting um because in any of our pursuit right you have to be able to face whatever obstacle or, or challenge is ahead of you and it's not often that you're motivated to encounter the challenge um or i shouldn't even say motivated but that you have all good feelings towards that right mm-hmm. you might be frightened angry um, sad or even distracted right there might be something more entertaining going on but over your long term like i want to be a really good skier uh i'd rather i'm going to go to the movies instead you know what i mean like inconsistently showing up but having to um to teach yourself like persistence and determination and that that plays a role in everything that you do even Mm -hmm. if you go to college for instance like exactly that monster that demon might be you know um skip class or i'm not going to try as hard i'm not going to study i don't need to do that much like you don't go the extra mile and all of those things are in my opinion from talking to people like yourself and from what i gather is like are learned through through simulated experiences, right? Like absolutely through the constraints that we put ourselves in, whether or not you're spending all your time in the, you know, the the outdoors, or you're trying to learn how to be a painter, and you actually put yourself through the rigors of being a painter, mm-hmm. right? And like you're taught principles of life throughout that, and I think I think it's beautiful in that sense because like I'm in the school system, and some things when I was growing up. Things that were taught, like books, for instance, um, books that I covet now and I love, I would 
read the cliff notes and I would just completely try to get through those book reports, right? I, I could care less. Um, I'd play video games and I had to read the subtitles, really long words. It was Final Fantasy, mm -hmm. right? And I loved reading those. That game taught me how to read. I was deeply incentivized to take on bigger and bigger challenges because it met an end that I really cared about. And that's where I think like what I've been trying to do with my son um, is expose him to different kinds of activities that make it worth shouldering those burdens or those challenges, yeah. of, you know, being courageous and being helpful, stuff like that. Cause that stuff's hard. It's hard as an adult. Absolutely. And, when I uh, turned 15, uh, sophomore, well, freshman in high school, my father signed me up for the Skagit Alpine Club's mountaineering class. Mm -hmm. um, he knew the instructor. It was one of his climbing buddies. It's the only way I could get in it. Mm -hmm. um, right, Skagit Valley College um, is where our meeting place was. So I had to get enrolled at Skagit Valley College as a 14 turning 15 year old wow. and take this mountaineering class with a bunch of adults <laughs> and he said I'll, I'll go on all the climbs with you what well that wasn't quite true oh and every weekend for about three months there were outings we started <laughs> off at Mount Erie for some rock climbing then we went to a local mountain called Sock where we did ice axe arrest and glissading and rope travel and then my dad was gone <laughs> I think he purposely did that even though he oh, knew man. I was in safe hands, he wanted to step away and give me some freedom. Mm. I climbed 12 peaks that year, including a couple of volcanoes. We finished with Mount Baker, and I was on my own with these other people that were in their 20s and 30s. Mm -hmm. And that's where the learning happened. Wow. Right there. So he stepped back, and, and I had to make a lot of decisions on my own, mm -hmm. um, pack my own gear, and that, that was probably huge. And I took that idea and I also used that with my own kids mm -hmm. that I want to have some structure, but yet step back, let them make some mistakes, but keep them safe. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And then learn from those experiences. Yeah. You guard the sandbox. Yeah, right. Right. Mm -hmm. And two, two of the, the, the other people, one instructor, um, one student in that class, I'm still climbing with today, 40 years later. Yeah. Just got off the phone with one earlier today, and um, we're still great friends, and we still get out in the mountains together. Mm -hmm. And one's 10 years older, and one's 18 years older than I am. Wow. And Because I remember I was only 14 or 15 at the time, but mm -hmm. we still get out and, and do things together. So it was a great experience, lifelong friendships. Um, you're trusting each other out there. so That's really cool. Yeah. That level of trust that you put into other people, I would even, once again, argue that it's something that's not even commonly found in just everyday life. Like, you, you can get there with families, right? But I've experienced, like, be, I've had the opportunity to witness um, quite a bit of uh, different familial relations, right? And, mm -hmm. like, the inner culture. Um of the family structure and like with that it's not very common that you have people who, who are so tr like would trust their life with their other family members unless they're put into scenarios where they actually have to trust their life 
So even driving a car, because like everyone in the car is trusting me pretty well. My son was even talking to me about that. He's like, how safe? Because I was talking to him when we were climbing that, um, you know, the safety, how safe you're in a car is actually you're not that safe in a car. No, like a, not at all. A lot could go wrong. And I'd argue that more can go wrong here than it could out on the wall as long as I'm following all the safety protocols. Absolutely. Yeah. And like. You trust me to drive you, but it doesn't feel like you're entrusting me with a lot. Like everyone gets in the car and you don't really think much of it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and these experiences, it's like I got your life in my hands. Even in jujitsu, um, I don't want to sound like uh, crass, I suppose, but I'm like choking children to show the other children how to do the same thing. And like if I hold it for really long, then that's that's very scary, and the kid could die or the adult could die. So we're constantly navigating what our boundaries are and trusting each other and like i've found that now i have people that within my family and actually without that i'm closer to than i've ever been before like i've always craved like some some level of bonding with with people and i never got that in my own family but now I've, i'm like finding that and that's yeah. and figuring out how to connect with people in my family outside of climbing right by using those principles you know right it's, right yeah yeah, I remember my, my first roped fall, and it mm -hmm. happened during that class. We were up on Lexington Tower, which mm -hmm. is up by Washington Pass. And uh, at that time, when you belay, which means you're holding a rope for somebody who's climbing, you wrapped it around your waist. There was no device at all. Oh, that's wild. Yeah, so it was a hip belay. And someone was belaying me. I don't know. Still to this day, I don't know who it was, but got to a little section that had running water coming off and mm -hmm. I could tell my foot was slipping and yelled falling and I fell, it seemed like forever, mm -hmm. but I'm sure it was like a foot, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? And the person caught me with the rope and until I got my feet back underneath me and then went back up to that same spot and worked my way around it the second time up there. But mm -hmm. Here was somebody, I don't even know who they are, some other classmate who caught my fall. Wow. And still remember that to this day and how important <laughs> that is to trust the ability of others. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that is something you bring me back to because even comparing like jujitsu and martial arts um, to climbing is that climbing almost brought it, maybe it's because I'm afraid of heights, right? But climbing brought it to a whole nother level for me mm. because... I've climbed with a belayer who was seemed really inattentive, right? And then, like, all of a sudden, he would drink beer, and then he would start smoking weed. And then he was, like, spacey sometimes, and then we stopped climbing together. And I was like, oh, okay, because I'm like, mm. I don't know about, like, I understand if you can do these things and then you can really hold it well, but, like, he didn't seem like that. And right. so now I have, like, a... a Someone I'm in a relationship with <laughs> <Someone like that. laughs> comes and climbs with me often. Um, and like I've built like a level of trust with him. Um, but I've taken a, like a fall where I was six feet past the bolt. Um, and it was on a guy that, that I just met, but I knew he had a really good background. Right. And he, he caught me on my biggest fall yet. Right. And like from then on out, he's like my best friend, you know. Yeah. It's yeah. that level of trust, just right. But to, but being up there, like all I am thinking about is I'm gonna die. Whereas like in jujitsu, all I'm thinking about is well, if this guy gets, I'm gonna tap, and if he doesn't let go, I'm gonna figure out how to get out of it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's more intense to me. Yeah. But yeah. Right. I 
I haven't seen my own kids take a fall. Um, <laughs> I hold them pretty close. Yeah, oh, I bet. Yeah. Uh, out in Mount Erie, we've done a bunch of climbing out there and let them uh, climb away. But I always keep a tight rope. <laughs> yeah, it's the same with my son. Is Well, my son, you know, always just top ropes. But um, with the top roping, yeah, I always keep it really tight. I don't let him know that I can help him up. Because I don't want to, you know, grease that groove of like assist me. But when he's having like a really hard time, you know, I'll just be like, just just grab on and then just put push your foot onto that hole or onto that ledge, and then he does, and then I'll like let him up a little bit. I'm yeah. like, there you go, Give and he gets pull. so excited. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and that's the thing is like, I go back and forth because um, once again with having a child, and sometimes you have a hard day, right, or just a hard moment, and. I don't want to there's like a dichotomy where it's like militant to um you push through this or whatever and like and, and really being forceful about it though like in the extreme right and then the other one is is like oh let's just go to a park right there's nothing wrong with going to a park but like you're just pulling it back so much because you don't want to push make them uncomfortable right um or put them in an uncomfortable scenario and I go back and forth with that, but that's the climbing so much fun because with top roping, like he's only probably left the ground 10 feet and that's completely fine. I mean, yeah. as long as he tries for 11 feet and as long as he likes it, tries for 11 feet. Right. You know, right. It's, so they, my kids enjoyed it mm -hmm. and we continued to do it. Um, not as much as I'd like them to obviously, but you know, yeah. they, they got other activities going on and they're, they're busy and we try to squeeze in, I ski every now and then and season's over now but uh or rock climb or camp car camping mm -hmm. uh, now that they're 17 and 20. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you just find those things that you can really like they're really beaming in on and trying to find a way to to get to relate with them and get on their level like that right absolutely um you know and i look back at when i was that age and you know i had done a lot of climbing and hiking and camping and a lot of interest different interests also mm -hmm. um only regret I think I have is I wish I would have done more climbing and hiking and camping. Yeah. But, you know, we got a college and and then chasing girls and mm -hmm. getting married and having things kids pulling and, you in all these different directions. Yeah, all those different directions. Right. So right. how do you how did you determine that? Like when you're um, 15, you take the, the class. Right. Right. And you go on all these like these epic trips. And your father steps away. You have this like level of independence, just a little bit more um, like. I feel like there's this fork in the road, right? That's pretty blurry but between the choices, but it's like, this is my career and this is something I'm going to occasionally do. Mm -hmm. And like, was that a consideration then? Were you wanting to like start guiding and just being out all the time? Or is it just like, uh, you just had mountains that you wanted to climb? Uh, that was a thought at one time. Mm -hmm. Guiding would be great, uh, but I didn't want to turn my passion into a job. Mm -hmm. um, it was my es escape to go out and do those things. <laughs> um, forget about work. Mm -hmm. I didn't want that to be work. Mm -hmm. um, but by the sound of that, you, you, there was a certain level of commitment to work, though, right? Like you valued what you what you did or what you wanted to do for work. Yeah, absolutely. And I uh, I am a teacher, and I think that um, the reason I am a teacher, one of the main reasons. Uh, although there are several, was the time schedule that a teacher has. <laughs> My dad's two climbing partners were originally 
two teachers. Um, and so they had 10 weeks off during the summer to go climbing. And I saw that growing up. And when I got to college, I made the decision, I think I want to be a teacher. That would give me the freedom I needed to go skiing during the winter. Um, and those summer climbing trips. Um, love my job summer. in many, many ways. Yes. But that that those summers were pretty special. I understand you wanted a, you had a lifestyle in mind. Lifestyle and with yeah. my own kids, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Because they're on the same schedule. Mm -hmm. Just so happens my my wife is also a school employee, so we have <laughs> the summers off together to go do those things outdoors. Yeah. It's kind of how it's been for me as well. It's almost a self fulfilling prophecy. I got into the outdoors because it was cheap. Well. Um, hiking was cheap yeah. <laughs> and then my interest grew from there and right, I'm like right. these are the cost lots of money but this is worth it I'll figure out how to dirt bag it but I'll make it work um, with that regard like not even just the outdoors but all of my pursuits in general revolved around buying myself more time mm -hmm. not and I don't mean pursuits just just with like you know podcasting writing mountains it's my son like I wanted to be able to be a part of his life man i grew up maybe you you caught the caught like the 90s family movies mm -hmm. um the the theme of a good amount of those movies was that the dad wasn't very present um like liar liar is is one of them and to name a few but um mm -hmm. that stuck with me that's all i watched and you know my dad wasn't really around uh, not because of work just because drugs and stuff but I didn't want to be anything like that. And I, when I was growing up, I didn't have like cool influences such as yourself or, you know, runners or artists. Mm -hmm. I just had, not to begrudge it, but like working class people who didn't, didn't spend much time outside of their job, you know, pursuing other things that they loved. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm blanketing that on a whole sub, sub culture of like the town in the area that I grew up, North Idaho, there's beautiful outdoor experiences, mm -hmm. right? But there's like, then a culture, and the culture, I, it exists in like this this area of, um, I guess on the Western Washington, right? I've, ta I've talked to people and they know people who, who are like this. And it's like, you know, go to work and then just hang out at home and, and relax. And there's not much more substance to it. And that's fine, but that always left me wanting, yeah. you know? And it's uh, what do you call it? For me, I started taking the job working with the district um, to fulfill that lifestyle because I wanted to show my son like there's right. way more to life. Like, even if you don't like the things that I like, right? There's all these kinds of religions. There's um, different kinds of sports that you can do. Arts. Mm -hmm. It's you do whatever you want as long as you're consistent with it and you're helpful. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I think I'm the same way. My weekends, I'm planning ahead. Where, where do I want to go? Where do I want to go hiking? Where do I want to go camping, climbing, skiing? I'm not a go on vacation, lay by the pool for two weeks guy. It's always an adventure vacation. You know, and the kids are going too, um, whether it's a ski trip somewhere or, or a backpacking trip. Yeah. It's just that for me, like once I found that, it was almost like lock and key, you know, yeah. and it's, but it's not specific either where. Like I couldn't ever see myself as just rock climbing, or just ultra running. It's just this like mixture of things, and I and that's where I like it's important for me to, um, and I think for a lot of people to get the perspective of someone who didn't just like say this is my profession and this is who I am, right? 
it's a big gray area. Some mm -hmm. people will be an entrepreneur and like have their own business that offers them a lot some the time to pursue whatever things that they also like. Cause like what you're saying when you're in call or when you're doing like the Alpine courses and in college, like you have all of these push and pulls in every direction. And like the, the only regret that I see in people who, who are um, older than me and more, much more wise is <laughs> um, compromising and being complacent. Right. It's like, this sucks, but just still showing up and not changing yeah, anything. Yeah, not changing it. Yeah. It's, yeah. You know, I was growing up taking that class um, and talking to my classmates years later. They had no idea I was doing those things. <laughs> Whoa, really? You know, because I wasn't a part of that scene, whatever they were doing. Mm -hmm. You know, they weren't out climbing mountains at 15. <laughs> um, and here I was hanging out with these older people, and that's what I was going to do. <laughs> you know, and my dad dragging me along. Mm hmm well, they're probably out partying at school somewhere, mm -hmm. and I'm out climbing mountains. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's great memories. Mm -hmm. Great, great memories. Making memories, that's what it's all about. Yeah, exactly, because, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, time's like the no, the only non-renewable resource, and memories are really all that we have to live for, right? It's, yeah. Well, for the most part, I mean. Right. And, when you asked uh, me to uh, have this conversation with you, mm -hmm sort of thinking about all those experiences and it brought back a lot of great memories over the years of all those climbing and hiking trips whether i do was with my dad or with my own kids it's been mm -hmm. a fantastic ride yeah <laughs> last week just rethinking and going back and looking at old photos mm -hmm. and, and uh oh, wow. those memories it's all about yeah what's as an adult what was your most um cherished um and memorable experience in the backcountry um. Well, that's a great question. There's been so many. Um, probably once I graduated from college, got that done with, I did very little climbing during that time. It's just focused on school. Mm -hmm. um, I got invited to go into the Southern Pickets for six days. Ooh, yeah. And this was a group of six of us. And if you know anything about the Southern Pickets in the North Cascades, it's wild, wild country. Isn't it the, considered one of the most remote places in the lower 48? Yeah, and it was about 1989, I think we were in there. And at that time, there was really no trail. I remember just getting there was work. We we're looking at handwritten notes that someone had given us. Um, oh yeah, no GPS. Wow. No GPS. You know, you following a map, and now there's basically a boot path in there you can just follow. But at that time, there was nothing. Adventure. And just taking a whole day just to get in there, and we spent six days and climbed six peaks, um, and just beautiful July weather. Uh, it was a very memorable trip. Yeah. Wow. And so, when you're planning for a trip like that, what what's the planning experience like? Um. Well, I was, again, I was the youngster of the group. Mm -hmm. The people I was going with were much more experienced, so talking to them. Uh, what was difficult for me, though, remember I was a college student, I had been sitting on my butt studying a lot, mm -hmm. and so that my physical conditioning wasn't up to par. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I had youth in my favor because I was like 25. Oh, yeah, some youthful yeah, exuberance, exactly, right? Exactly, <laughs> right. And... Um, but these guys are guys that are climbing 50 peaks a season. Mm -hmm. So they were, they were very well fit mm -hmm. and yeah. ready to go. And I got my butt kicked the first day out. Mm -hmm. um, but after that, I started to get in the, into the group, get into the zone, and um, had a fabulous trip. And I, we still talk about that trip to this day. Oh, wow. You know, I get together with those guys. Mm -hmm. When up in the pickets, um, is there a lot of glacial travel? 
A little. A little. Yeah, but not not significant. It's a lot of rock climbing. <laughs> yeah. Right. Low fifth class, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. For anyone that doesn't know, for like low fifth class, it's it's pretty e- easy, um, technically easy things, but physically it's very demanding to be able to get to the pickets and then to accomplish all of those. And from what I understand, like the summit blocks out there, the big chunk of stone, essentially, they're so beautiful. Yeah, it's a beautiful spot. It's remote, rugged, wild. <laughs> oh, area. yeah. And right. that's what um, I'm planning to do the southern pickets and then the northern pickets of summer. Really? Um, yeah. yeah, I'm really excited. It'll be my first trip. I want to do the whole thing, but because um, I have summers off and I'd rather cut into chunks. I think that's better off. Yeah. And yeah. A, a well-known mountaineer by the name of Dallas Clokey, <clears throat> who I climbed with, he was on that trip. Um, he said something one time I'll never forget though he said you can't climb them all mm. and this is from a guy that's probably climbed a lot of them yeah but you can't climb them all so even though I've been to a lot of places there's still so many out there that I'll never get to mm-hmm. and in a way that's kind of frustrating <laughs> but uh, in a way it's not uh, there's always that goal um, I'm not too old yet <laughs> right <laughs> yeah it's still out there I can go I can go do it yeah mm-hmm. right my um, my goals have kind of changed over the years. We're not climbing as much as we used to. <laughs> more uh, long distance trips, visiting places that are more remote that people don't often see. It might Ooh. be a lot of off trail stuff. What's uh, one of your recent trips that you've taken? Um, in one of the old mountaineering books, um, guidebooks, there's a place called Price Lake. Just east of Mount Shuxon. And there used to be a trail in there, but now it's pretty much grown over. It's no longer in guidebooks. Really? And uh, we went in there one day last summer. It's up the Nooksack Cirque Trail, <clears throat> four ways, and you have to leave the trail and get across the North Fork of the Nooksack and up into Price Lake. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa, so you like that level of route finding route finding is fun <laughs> route finding for me now is what climbing was when i was younger it's just that new challenge mm-hmm. to be able to find these places with map uh we do carry a gps but mostly <laughs> just to just to map the route that we took i'm not using it as a guide we're just reading map and using altimeter <laughs> to get to those places yeah you have to so what's what's it like to be able to do route finding do you have to assess like the contours of the um the mountain to be able to find an efficient way to go up yeah exactly we're looking at the map and you can read where those ridges or ribs are to follow creeks <laughs> yeah to get to those locations yeah and have you ever um had an oh shit moment um, when you're route finding as far as getting lost yes <laughs> <laughs> no not really we've done That's we've nice. done pretty good um we did have one time over in Mazama area. It was <laughs> snowing pretty hard. Mm-hmm. We thought we were one place, but we weren't. Ooh. And uh, we're losing visibility. <laughs> Ended up turning around just following our steps back. We're snowshoeing, <laughs> following our steps back, and then realizing later that we were not even close to where we thought we were. Oh, wow. Um, so that oh shit moment happened a little bit later <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that evening when we realized, hey, we thought we were here and we weren't, but handled it. Mm-hmm. You know, very well yeah, take care um, of it so we've never had any problems with getting completely 
out of whack mm-hmm. before. And it's short of a blizzard, um, maybe I am naive because being an amateur, um, it's hard for me to get lost, right? Short of a blizzard, right? Because uh, I'm constantly assessing the contours of the landscape, and I'm taking note of geological features. I no one really taught me that. I just figured that that, that was it. when I was exploring in the Rockies. Uh, um, north idaho on deer trail and stuff that was the way to get back down but still then again it was pretty difficult to get lost because if i'm going up a mountain just go down the mountain and i can have i have the understanding with the landscape that a highway even if the highway is 10 miles or five oh no not 10 miles this is a far ways away right like a hour two hour walk um i just go straight in one direction to the bottom of this and I'll be at the highway. Mm-hmm. Like, but I understand I haven't had much experience in it, but in blizzarding conditions like or extreme fog, you can't see in you front of you. You can't see anything. No white out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. We tend to avoid those days anyway. You yeah. Know? We're not going to head out in weather like that. So mm-hmm. That's my understanding with um, this one guy that I follow, Ben Verde, and um, even uh, John Skurlock, who's on the podcast. Mm-hmm before and he he, john skurlock is like a bush pilot who goes into the cascades among other places and um, ben verde is a squirrel fly squirrel suit um all up and down the cascades and they share the same sentiment where it's like you know no bad days and right anything that looks harsh right that's pretty that's really risky uh whether you're a mountaineer bush pilot or squirrel suit um and they try to avoid that as much as they can. And what you hear in the like squirrel suit and skydiving community is that most deaths aren't really like ever since it's uh, squirrel suits have been around. Most deaths are usually uh, poor judgment. Mm. And that's really speaks a lot to, I guess, a lot of the activities that we're doing out there, including rock climbing, including mm-hmm. mountaineering, mm-hmm. Um, just poor judgment or accidents. Yeah. Well, we have you know good access to weather now. Mm-hmm. Um, Younger, I remember it just reminded me of another trip we did as kids mm-hmm. um, up near Mount Baker. We went camping. Um, and to make a long story short, we just had a tarp with us. We had two adults, but two, about four kids, just a tarp with us. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a beautiful day. Strung a rope between the trees, mm-hmm. put the tarp over. Everybody crawled in underneath and went to sleep mm-hmm. until the night started to snow. And snowed and snowed and snowed. The park was <laughs> collapsing, and my dad had to get up in the middle of the night and you know push the snow off because it was collapsing on us. And uh-huh. and we had no idea that that storm was even coming. Whoa! And <laughs> get oh up gosh. in the morning, and we're, and everybody had left all their gear out of the tarp, so the boots were filled with snow. Oh and, yeah! And <laughs> the packs were covered, and <laughs> but we were only about three miles away from the car, and mm-hmm. you know, and we hiked out and the next day and another great memory we survived <laughs> yeah make the best of it <laughs> exactly right yeah <laughs> i don't think anybody knew to look at the weather report and again that was back in the 70s and that trip happened but, wow, but yeah. now we can see those things coming and mm-hmm. try to avoid it like you said yeah you almost have moment by moment access to a lot of these things right right and the spot trackers too um being able to monitor someone's location via G- a GPS link is really nice. Yeah, with the things we're doing now, um, we have to carry a satellite phone. You carry a yeah, satellite phone. That's yeah. a, um, when I was doing a trad uh, guided climbing course with, 
I forget. It was a guide, uh, climb, a guide service out of Mazama. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what they had was a sat phone. They were talking to us about what kind of trips that you're going to want to use a sat f- or have a sat phone with you and, and stuff. Right. It's, yeah. We're doing a lot of off trail stuff and I want <laughs> to be able to make a phone call and talk to somebody if their emergency happens rather than sending a text message, mm-hmm. yeah. more detailed information. Mm-hmm. And we've used it. Yeah, really? Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, tell me about a time when you've used it. <laughs> <laughs> I was telling you about that time we went to Price Lake. Mm-hmm. Okay, so my climbing buddy, I'm going to throw his name out there, Mike Woodmancy. <laughs> and uh, we were coming back from Price Lake. You have to get across the river, which we kind of shimmied across the log that had fallen across the river. Mm-hmm. Was the river yeah. pretty raging? It was late September. It wasn't really raging, but mm-hmm. rather than taking all of our you know shoes and socks off and wading mm-hmm. in, which we could have, it was easier just to go across on this log. Mm-hmm. And he was ahead of me, he got off the log, and I'm scooting across, and I hear him yell. Mm-hmm. And go find him, and he had fallen into this rotten stump, and he had his trekking poles in his hands. Well, his body fell in the stump, but his trekking pole was on the ground, at ground level, mm-hmm. and it pulled up on his arm because he had his wrist loop on it, mm-hmm. and um, dislocated his shoulder. And he was in some serious pain. He was feeling like he was going to pass out, you know, going into shock. Mm-hmm. And we were there for probably about an hour trying to get him up, trying to support that arm and subway. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're off trail. Mm-hmm. Um, we're a good three miles at least from the car. Mm-hmm. And um, eventually, with some medication I had in my med kit to relieve some of the pain, mm-hmm. uh, about an hour later, um, it didn't look like he was going to get up and walk and we hadn't moved an inch. And so I had to pull out the sat phone and I called my wife and said, call 911 <laughs> and explained to her where we were, uh, what we were doing. And, uh, um, exactly. That's exactly what she did. <laughs> and at that time, Mike, the medication was really taking effect and Mike was able to move his arm and it popped back in place oh. so he goes i think i can walk and he gets on his feet and i carry his pack and my pack and trekking poles and he takes off through the woods um heading towards the car oh, wow. and uh i asked him i said hey do you need me to call off the emergency here <laughs> yeah he goes yeah i think i can walk wow and so we're heading towards the parking lot um and I did get a hold of my wife, but it was already too late. Uh, fire and rescue were mm-hmm. on the way. Mm-hmm. They're coming from the town of Glacier. Yeah. And wow. uh, they met us coming up the trail just to check on him. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's so cool. Right. So that satellite yeah, phone came in handy right there. Um, mm-hmm. And hopefully we won't have to use it again. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> it's always important to be able to have yeah. those uh, measures of safety in place. Right? Exactly. When you are doing these like route finding experiences, how do you... How do you pick a spot? Like, what, what do you look for? Do you uh, look at old guidebooks, for instance, or are you looking at like maps? You don't have to give away your secrets, but. Oh, well, yes and yes. Mm-hmm. Old guidebooks, like I mentioned with uh, Price Lake, which mm-hmm. is no longer in a guidebook anywhere, but it used to be. Um, old, uh, old maps, just looking through old green trail maps, will have those places on there. And just being out in the mountains and looking when you get up there mm-hmm. on a high vantage point and say, hey, what is that place over there? Mm-hmm. You know, that looks really cool. I might want to go visit it. And then going home and pulling it out on a map and doing some research that way. That's fun because then you get the, especially with the, basically your backyards, right? The Cascades. Yeah. You, you're getting a 
more in-depth familiarity with your ecosystem, I suppose. Oh, yeah. And a big, big, strong awareness of the, the whole Cascade Range, mm-hmm. um, the lakes, the rivers, the mountains. Um, I'm surprised daily by the people that don't know Three Fingers, for example. Mm-hmm. You can see it from I-5. Yeah. How can, you, can, how can you not know that's Three Fingers Mountain right mm-hmm. there? You look at it every single day. But it's just something that's... I'm looking at and uh, it's part of my life all the time. <laughs> Every time I drive down to Seattle, I always look at three fingers and I'm just like, cause I want to go up to the lookout yeah, and I'm yeah. like, Oh, I just can't wait. And the whole time I'm like perusing, I want to climb that mountain, that mountain, that mountain, and that mountain. Right. Like, yeah. Right. And counting them down. Have you, so have you, how many times have you climbed three fingers and what, and what, times during the season because is it something that you climb and do slight uh, glacial navigation in the in the summer and spring or do you climb in the winter as well i've only been three fingers i think three times and it's just a lookout you know there are three summits to three fingers and i've only been in the lookout whereas my climbing buddies i know they've done the middle and the north peak mm-hmm. uh right now the, the road is washed out yeah. so that's created a longer much longer trip Mm-hmm. I know there are folks out there biking up the road and still going to visit the lookout, but mm-hmm. I haven't been there in a while. Yeah. It's usually a, a summer trip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's my, I'm planning to do it in the summer of this year because of the, no one wanted to come with me because of the longer approach due to the washout on the road. Wasn't, isn't that why the, yeah, it was exactly. extended? And I think like what the approach is, the, it's not 18, is it 18 miles? Uh, I'm not sure. It's quite it's, a ways yes, now. Yeah. Somewhere up you there. want to take a mountain bike. And my, but my ultra running brain says, oh, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Cause if, if I am correct, right. depending on the, I guess the year in September, it's just light glacial navigation. Right. And I think you can circumnavigate the uh, glacial field. Yeah. You can stay out of it. And right. with that, then I definitely could ultra run. Cause I've been working on like, um, if I put together a setup, there's a guy that I follow named Stuke Swole and he's from the area and mm-hmm. he does like these long, um, not, not running, but you know, like ultra distances and stuff and overnighters, uh, or hiking throughout the night doing like 50 milers, hundred milers. And, um, and I like that. I think I'm still working on whether or not I like that. <laughs> um, I had my first 50 mile, uh, race over on Orcas Island, um, okay. in May, but the whole, like, I like some of these approaches where I could just get away with crampons and an ice axe and like run out to the long approaches to get like what you're kind of what you're saying, uh, the same sentiment of the route findings, get like deep in there, just immerse myself in backcountry, something like three fingers, right? That's a long approach. So with that, like I really get in wild country um, and it's not going to take, you know, a lot of my time uh, given that, you know, I'm a single parent. Um, and I get to immerse myself in there. So just throwing crampons and an ice axe yeah. in the back and just, yeah, going to town. And just go, mm-hmm. yeah. Because right now it's like 50 miles is doable in a day. So then that mm-hmm. pretty much unlocks quite a bit of things for me. Sure, um, yeah. Well, the most I've done in a day is 30. Mm-hmm. But that was carrying climbing gear, too. Yeah. You know, that, we're coming out of the Glacier Peak Wilderness, and I had, you know, a rope and overnight equipment. And part of it was off-trail and unmaintained trail. And I lost three toenails on that trip. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Hiking and running in the relationship with toenails. Oh, like, toenails, yeah. It's, I'm lucky. They grew back. Really? That's, that's good. <laughs> I'm lucky enough that I haven't lost a toenail yet, but yeah. I'll be sure to mark it when there I do. You go. <laughs> but, do enough miles you'll lose one 
Yeah. yeah. But that's where like, um, that's another part of me where it's not like one or the other thing. Cause I then have these, um, these trips, right. With backpacking that's slower. I'll bring people who don't like to run, um, which is most of my friends, um, <laughs> on trips and I'll go with my son and it'll be more geared towards that. And also like, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of we're in the world when we're in the city, we, there's, there's quite, there's a lot of boundaries, right? It's great. There's so much out there to learn when you're, you know, in the city or within a, a close group of people um, presenting, you know, art and entertainment and science. Right. But when we're in the back country um, or just the woods in general, right. Explore and mm-hmm. follow these boundaries to be able to keep yourself safe and us safe. Other than that, go and figure out what's right around the corner. Like, yeah. It's, and I always seem to have, friends with my kids mm-hmm. you know take a group of them you know four or five and give them some freedom and give them some boundaries like you said um keep keep the tent in sight for example mm-hmm. if you can't see the tent you're you've gone too far mm-hmm. so we did things like that and running around in the dark with, mm-hmm. yes. with their headlamps on oh isn't that the best oh it's the best yeah mm-hmm. yeah they can do that all night <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> right? Right. see my son though he he's of another mindset because i think it'll be different when i take this group out um in may but i will try i've tried to get him up for or keep him up for like a meteor shower right and i wanted to show him because he's never seen a meteor shower before he falls asleep like a half hour to an hour before the sun sets. And ironically enough, when we're here, he's like, I'm, I want to stay up tonight, Dad. Like, what if I just didn't go to bed? I could stay up all night. And I'm like, every time I try to get you to stay up, it's, it's just, no, you just pass out, man. It's all good. <laughs> well, like my dad did to me, he woke me up when we were up there on Roof Mountain. I was already asleep, but he woke me up and said, hey, this, this slide out of the tent and just laid there and look up at the sky. And, oh, it's so cool. You know, just... To watch the meters for a while and then slide back in and go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. See, I, I'm going to be taking out, um, I think it'll be like s- s- five children. Yeah, I think five children. And then a few adults are going to come along too who mm-hmm. have f- little experience in the backcountry. My friend and I are going to lead or just do it or leading the group essentially. We're going to take them and teach them. Um, uh, like camping skills, starting fires, stuff like that. Um, and then foraging stuff because he's, my friend's really into foraging. He's like a, a spelunker, like caving. Okay, and right. I'm more like rock climbing, ultra running. So it's a really mm-hmm. good blend. That's kind of what I've gone into is like, I never planned it this way because I honestly, I really like riding, right? That's, I hold all of these things at a distance. And as I go along, I think I'm finding myself wanting to be more and more of a writer of these experiences and also of the community as well. Um, and tying it together, but I'm finding myself fulfilling like this mentorship role where kids are coming up to me and it's like, I want to go. Yeah. <laughs> well, it'll be re- way more fun for my son, first of all. And mm-hmm. second of all, like, I really wish I would have had something like that. And I love teaching people who are willing to, you know, learn and who are willing to ask questions that I might not know, you know, because like I always tell my son that um, I learn a lot from him. Um, as he does me you know Mm -hmm. and yeah so i'm really excited for this and that's where i'm um i'm thinking of next year doing the skagit alpine um club course Mm -hmm. it's the the three-month one that i think you're talking about yeah um next year just so i can get all my skills buttoned down i don't want a guide but i want the proficiency moving along throughout the years 
um, to, to reflect that as if I could be a guide, you know? Right. Yeah. I've got some great pictures of my kids when they were little and were out hiking around and, uh, you talk about foraging, mm-hmm. especially with blueberries. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. My, my four year old son, he's got blueberries smeared all yes. over his face and his fingers are blue and, and you know, just grazing. <laughs> That's like the perfect time to take children out into alpine for huckleberries right because yep. high high elevation for those huckleberries and it's it's just prime time out there you know so now they know you know and they know what a salmon berry looks like mm-hmm. and what they taste Dimble like berries and, yeah oh, all that stuff what's what's edible and what really you should stay away from and, and they experience the stinging nettle and yeah oh and yeah devil's club and yeah. all those things right <laughs> that's um when my son was four, he was three or four, we were climbing up um, Baker on the south side uh, via Park Butte, right? Yep. And Park Butte's like, I think it's like three and a half miles one way. Approximately, right. And there's huckleberries, great spot to go pick pick huckleberries, at least when they first come out, because they'll get picked through pretty quick. It's a pretty popular trail. It's beautiful out there. But I was just looking to pick huckleberries. I didn't know really much about the area. I moved, just moved here. I didn't do much in the back country, right? Um, or in the woods, I guess. So I took them up there and all of a sudden we're, I read something about there being like some lookout on the top and we're just picking huckleberries probably, you know, like half a mile from the trailhead. And I mentioned that there's like a building or a fire lookout yeah. on the top of like one of the, the peaks. On Park Butte. And he's, yeah. And he's like, what? That's pretty cool. Can we check it out? And I'm like, oh, that's, I've never seen you walk that far. So we'll see some sandals and stuff. I'm like, well, we'll see. We'll just, let's pick huckleberries and we'll just pick them, you know, instead of going off trail, we'll just follow the trail up from our huckleberries. Well, eventually without like just all on his own accord um, and curiosity, we make it to Park Butte and happy as you could be. Mm-hmm. And like on the whole way down, man, it was like we're flying. He, he loved it so much. We had huckleberries to take home and he was asking me when we can go again. And I'm like, I think I love being in the outdoors. <laughs> yeah. Every trip with my daughter, I say she's still, tw- she's still like 20 years old. And we, every trip we've got to come home with some, yeah. with some huckleberries, blueberries, and we got to make pancakes. <laughs> yeah. It's her thing. Oh, I like yeah. that. I'm going to have to start that tradition. Fresh berry pancakes. Oh yeah. 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 That's good. See, I've like worked, spent a lot of time perfecting running and picking berries. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. I know what you mean. I've done that. <laughs> Well, Parkview Lookout, that is Skagit Alpine Club again. Mm-hmm. Um, they're res- responsible for preserving that and maintaining it oh, right now. Oh, that's so cool because we yeah. went up there when when my son and I went up there the second time because it's a very routine area for us now. Mm-hmm. Um, they were working on it, and that was like his yeah. favorite thing. When we literally stayed up there for like close to a half hour just and he was just asking all the how do you get the wood up here how do you put this together and i'm like yeah right all about because it that curiosity within myself like i'm always really curious like what does it look like from the top of that mountain or how does it look like to climb that that route or what, what does this look at like i admire that so much when i see it in anyone especially with children because it's it's very obvious you know there's just bursting with curiosity yeah see my dad being a part of that alpine club so he did maintenance on that building when mm-hmm. i was little so we would go up and stay in it and they'd spend the weekend you know replacing the roof or whatever it would be mm-hmm. um so that was kind of my stomping grounds too oh really so you'd yeah. almost go up there and you just play 
we'd go up there and play, and, uh, <laughs> and the adults would work, and we just hang out. Yeah, that's so cool. It's good fun. And right below uh, Park Butte, I don't know if you've seen. There's some tarns down mm-hmm. there. We'd go down and swim in those. Oh, really? Yeah, splash around. Yeah. Wow. One of the things that I love about the area is, is that you can have snowball fights in August. Exactly. Right. <laughs> yes. Crusading in August. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> if, um, if there were ever a place that I'd want to take, uh, this is personal, but um, applicable to people as well. If there were ever a place I wanted to take my son to introduce him into like glissading, it wouldn't be a now thing. It would be as I built the experience. Um, where is a really good what would you look for like in taking a child to expose them to that and uh for their first time i would go the same place i took my kids um artist point mm, artist point yeah um you can wait till the road gets plowed mm-hmm. all the way up to artist point near mount baker um, mount shuckson area mm-hmm. and uh, just drive all the way up there and just find a hill and do a little glissading yeah, nah, just climb cool. up and slide down yeah, that's where my kids learn how to do it. Oh, that's yeah. so rad. Yeah. yeah, and so somewhere that's basically has a drive up to it. Yeah, easy so to get work. to. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually hiked up to Table Mountain mm-hmm. from there. It was, you know, later in the season. There's still a lot of snow around, but we followed the trail up to Table Mountain, found some hills, uh, sledding hills. Hmm. But yeah. no sled needed, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> just, a, just a, you know, nice warm day. They can get wet and sloppy and... Um, if wear ski gloves on their hands and mm-hmm. and just roll around and play in the snow, yeah. <laughs> did a lot of that. Yeah, and I got uh, two more things for you. One of them would be: Have you have you witnessed in your own self a translation of the skills that you've developed in the outdoors in your day to day life? For instance, um, maybe you're having a, you're really stressed out, right? And you're having an ability or a hard time managing your emotions. For me, looking from the outsider's point of view, I would say that being in the outdoors, you may experience that to its extreme. And that might affect you in your day-to-day life for the better. But I don't know if that is the reality of it. I go to the mountains or trails, obviously, a lot when I'm stressed out Mm -hmm. or I need to do some thinking. Um, Quite often, it might be just some local trail by myself and just go for a walk or a run Mm -hmm. and just go enjoy it. And I just get lost on a trail Mm -hmm. and I'm not even aware of what's around me because I'm just thinking about what's going on in the world right now. Mm -hmm. Um, That tends to bring me back to reality, Mm -hmm. Um, brings down the stress. My my blood pressure decreases. Mm -hmm. And I, like I said, Earlier, my wife can tell when I need to go do that, Mm -hmm. and she gives me the freedom. She knows that's my escape, my outlet. Um, She has hers in different ways. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's done some hiking and climbing with me, but not as much anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, I also spend, on the flip side, I also spend a lot of time when I should be working thinking about the mountains. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like my life. um. (laughs) Quite often happens a lot. You know, I'm looking at... Uh, places people are going and, and making plans. Hey, I want to go there. And the list is always long. Yeah. Um, and I should probably be on task. So it, it works both ways. So go there. And when I'm not there, I'm thinking about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. And for the other one, like in terms of risk, right. And 
you like to you said you like to climb like snow. Mm-hmm. Um, how, what's your relationship with like avalanches? Like, because I, I just looking from the outside point of view, I know that we had recently like the deaths of the mountaineers up in Banff, but um, from from the outsider's point of view, like looking at backcountry skiing and stuff, I hear about like avalanche uh, accidents a lot, and I don't know if that is um, overblown in the sense that like if you were to look at all of the potential accidents in the, the whole world of course that would seem like a lot because you'd see 50, maybe 50 a year that would look like a lot to me but in reality statistically it's insignificant right. um, but is that avalanche risk like going back to what I was talking about with skydivers with your ability to be able to assess and manage inherent risk exactly I've been out, out in some high avalanche times before mm-hmm. but knowing the terrain where you can travel that's safe stay off those big open slopes mm-hmm. but with skiers that's what they like to ski are the big open mm-hmm. slopes mm-hmm. for me i'm not i did some backcountry skiing but uh, not a lot mm-hmm. um we do do uh, quite a bit of snowshoeing um and i tend to you know stay on the ridges mm-hmm. and we look at the terrain a lot uh that's usually keeps us safe mm-hmm. and turn around when you need to mm-hmm. done that too. So just experience understanding the snow conditions um, and choosing the places that we're going to go, mm-hmm. uh, whether they're going to be safer. Uh, I've been in an avalanche one time Whoa. and we were on Mount Beebe, which is up North Cascades highway. Mm-hmm. It was May. It was a warm day. Uh, yeah, BB's, you can see like uh, um, Ruby Mountain from BB is fairly okay. close. BB's up the highway a little bit further. Yeah, I know what you're talking um, about. It was a warm May day. Uh, we just, there's no trail at all. Just park along the highway, head up towards through the trees, kind of up a rib, and you pop out of the trees right below BB. Mm-hmm. Um, BB has a fairly significant east face on it um we looked at and remember the sun's rising from the east so it's been it's cooking it in the morning and we decided to head off to the south catch the ridge go to the top and beautiful day on top now as we're sitting there we hadn't heard any avalanches there was sign around Uh, everything looked great so rather than going back down the ridge which should take us an extra hour, we decided we're going to drop straight off that east slope. Mm-hmm. Um, there were five of us. We're all kind of roped together. We had a teenager with us, mm-hmm. um, uh, climbing buddy's son. So we roped everybody up for his sake. Mm-hmm. And we took off down the hill, and we were sinking to our thighs. Mm-hmm. It was really oh, wow. soft, warm uh, day. Mm-hmm. And uh, what happened was we got down off the steepest part and somebody decided, hey, we want to glissade. This is perfect glissading, right? This is mm-hmm. going to be fun. Well, we all sat down to glissade and that's what triggered the avalanche. So we were starting to slide and and your butt kind of pushes snow ahead of you, mm-hmm. right? And every, all five of us pushing snow. And next thing you know, the whole snow started moving. Whoa. And... Uh, we were all going. I roll over to do a ice axe arrest, and you can't <laughs> ice axe arrest because the whole slope is sliding with you. Oh wow! Yeah. Um, the person on the end of the rope, the uphill end, 
he jammed his ice axe into the snow because he hadn't started the slide. Mm. But we yanked him clean out of his stance into wow. the air, he said, and he landed and we were sliding down the hill. <laughs> so what happened was it wasn't deep enough to bury us, mm-hmm. but we were moving downhill at a rapid rapid pace. I was worried about hitting something. Mm-hmm. And someone yelled, uh, rock. And what it was, it was a big rock, like right in the middle of the snow slope. Mm-hmm. And what happened was we rode the snow over the top of the rock. So it was Whoa. like a cushion, which was That was perfect. great, yeah. Was perfect. But I remember catching air on the downhill side of the rock. I could feel being in the air, then hit the snow again. And luckily this slides slowed down enough for people to got, get under their feet under them mm-hmm. and we jumped up and kind of walked off to the side out of it as it slowly moved down the hill oh my gosh yeah and uh <laughs> it was a wake-up call right there yeah i bet everybody was kind of shaken up a little bit and we stood there and talked about it and and in hindsight uh we made the perfect decision mm-hmm. on the way up to walk around that big mm-hmm. slope and mm-hmm. come up the ridge and it was just a quick reminder that, you know, follow your instinct, follow your experience. We should have gone back down the ridge rather than taking a shortcut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, live and learn, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yes, exactly. live and learn. Yeah. <laughs> and what fulfills you about going out into the mountains? Like, I understand that it was that you like having that space, right? But, mm-hmm. like, what... <clears throat> Is it the experience of just pushing your body continuously? I really like that a lot. Um, it's a physical challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the beauty. Mm. Um, there's times I've stepped on to a ridge and you look out there and you see a sea of mountains. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to do that all the time. <laughs> and like you said earlier, I, I want to see what's what's on, on the next ridge. Mm-hmm. You know, what's around that bend? You know, what's that next lake look like? Mm-hmm. Uh, running into wildlife is just fantastic whether oh, it's yeah. mountain goats or a sow with two cubs or anything like that we we're coming out of mountain gardener uh, wolf creek trail mm-hmm. um and there's a moose standing in the trail you know it just those experiences oh wow yeah, that you remember right that's so cool mm-hmm. yeah that trail um of wolf creek when i took my son backpacking i i went there myself for a run and that place is beautiful, especially with the high high encounters of deer that you get, from my understanding, up the valley mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. Like that was my whole plan was just like wildlife interaction with them, you know. Yeah, it's yeah. yeah. We were standing on uh, Ragged Ridge, I think it was two summers ago, and this, again, this is off trail. Mm-hmm. Um, we're gonna camp for the night. We had left our tent back in the car because it was a beautiful night, but we should have brought it in hindsight because the mosquitoes were horrible. <laughs> we were sleeping on the ground with my T-shirt over my head with a, this little hole for my mouth mm-hmm. so I could breathe to get away from the mosquitoes. But anyway, it's, it's getting dark, and I'm looking down the ridge, and here comes a bear up the ridge. So, and Whoa. she stops and looks at us, and then right behind her comes two cubs. And now they're like 50 meters away. And so we're standing really on their trail. Mm-hmm. They're coming up the ridge. They, they travel that probably all the time. Wow. We had seen sign earlier in the day that there were bear around. Mm-hmm. Uh, she just took those two cubs off to the east and wrapped around us and gained the ridge up a little higher, and away they went. They just walked right around us. So we had this great experience and 
watching this mama with two cubs. Yeah. That's so cool. Just didn't move, let her make the decision of what she wanted to mm -hmm. do. and Just observe. Yeah, just observe, and we both, all of us were safe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool, man. Yeah. Wow. It was awesome. You said you really like to mix climb, right? Or you, you used to mix climb a lot. Yeah. 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 What... What? Why did you choose to mix climb, or why did you mix climb so much? Was it just the opportunity in the Cascades, or was it a preference over like? I think it's a preference. Though climb. I like the love of snow. Mm -hmm. You know, I really enjoy lots of snow. Mm -hmm. um, it, I, it can be dangerous, but it's also be really forgiving. Mm -hmm. I just love going downhill on snow. Like downhills and glissading and skiing, or is it a like skiing, uh, glissading, um, just walking downhill? It's, it's the impact is so much mm -hmm. less on your body mm -hmm. um, rather than pounding down a trail. Yeah, you know, it's like you're walking on pillows. It's um, harder to slow yourself down than it is yeah. to speed yourself up yeah. when you're running or walking down trails. I find. Yeah, it's yeah. yeah. So I just I just enjoy snow glaciers mm -hmm. um traveling across that and then you know throwing in some rock climb for summits mm -hmm. the, uh, it's a mixture that's yeah. what i find um i don't know very much of a very narrow view but of the cascades in particular but like a lot of this is just mixed climbing with yes. traversing glaciers and yes. then adding a little bit of rock climbing in the end um and that that's right now where my goal is is like i have um at least workable and uh leadable or where i can lead my party mm -hmm. right for through trad routes and, and stuff without snow but i don't have any knowledge on the snow mm -hmm. um and i have to learn glacial travel right because that's pretty crucial for up here because a lot of the routes that you would experience climbing these mountains um you can you have to cross glaciers but to go around them really limits the time you can spend out there which Brings me to my next thing um, is that I'm gonna, well, I'm buying or I'm starting to work on like crampons and ice axe mm -hmm. uh, because if I don't climb in the snow, then my season's like is really short. Exactly. In the in the Alpine, right? I, I like Erie a lot, but Erie is just preparing me for um, getting up to the, the Alpine because I told you that I was afraid of heights, right? Mm -hmm. That that's weird because it comes into play on like uh, uh, multi-pitch face climbing but when I'm actually climbing mountains it couldn't be any more peaceful like the first pitch is a little like jittery and then once I get the jitters out I'm on fire and I'm in the moment just like you were saying and right. like, I'm home man yeah yeah and I, I love it but with that being said it's I, I want to expand my season so now I have to learn how to navigate on snow more and Probably eventually back. I, it sounds like you didn't go the full backcountry skiing route. I did not. No. And that I'm hoping to, to at least come away from a little bit because it's just, I don't know. It's right, right now it's enough for the rock climbing and then throwing in like some snow travel. I've done a lot of telemark skiing. That's where mm -hmm. I started. I had a friend that was doing that, so I did some backcountry with him. Mm -hmm. um, the birthday tour, for example. Uh, now with AT gear, there's anybody that can ski now can backcountry ski, mm -hmm. it seems like, right? Yeah. With the equipment, the changes that have been made. And I'm still telemark skiing, but most of it's just inbounds. Just inbounds, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, that's where I'm taking my son. Uh, we go up to Baker a lot. It's his favorite thing is to ski. Yeah. And I'm changing over to skiing because 
it's a lot easier to get. Or you can get split boards and stuff like that, but just cost wise and accessibility and just mm-hmm. keeping it to skis. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm excited though, man. And right. do you have any advice for anyone who's looking to get into the backcountry or getting into outdoor experiences? Um, best advice I would say uh, is to find mentors. Find somebody that is willing to take you along. Uh, that's what happened to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad was an important piece of that, but um, you know, like I said, he he kind of left me there and sent me off with other people mm-hmm. to learn from, not just himself. Mm-hmm. And even today, I still hang out with my older friends, mm-hmm. right? And I'm still climbing with them, and I'm still learning more and more from them all the time. One of them is 73, and he still gets out in the mountains and uh, very fit, sure-footed. Uh, he can come down anything, uh, makes it look, look easy. He's so efficient wow. at, his, at his steps. How, how often do you see that people uh, aging well into um, being a mountaineer? Quite often, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a lot of it's the, it's the physical challenge, the physical demand. Mm-hmm. They enjoy it so much they want to stay in shape and mm-hmm. be able to go out and do those things. Um, Seventy looked miserable to me until I started meeting like athletes. Yeah, and I was like, oh, if you're consistent with this yeah. and pretty smart, like, right. it's not that bad. Being in you know well into your seventies and eighties mm-hmm. and stuff, you could do a lot. Still going out and doing it. Yeah, like, most people are sitting at home. Yeah, <laughs> and I think that's the key um, is to continue to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as my father, he stopped mm-hmm. and. Um, couldn't get going again, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas people his his age that he was climbing with continued to climb, mm-hmm. and they climbed into their seventies and eighties. So, and how does that apply to you? Is that something that you want to continue to do? Definitely a goal, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, everything I do uh, during the week is is training for the weekends outdoors, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Exactly. And um, if anybody would like to check out, like any photos or anything like that? Do you have some more where people can find you? Um, I'm on Facebook. Mm-hmm. That's usually where I'll post uh, photos. Okay, sweet. I have a lot of uh, older photos that I put on there mm-hmm. um, when I was climbing back in in fourth grade. Yeah. Third grade. Oh, yeah. yeah. They're on there. Yeah, those photos are yeah. so cool, man. When I saw those, I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we come, we come across more um, digging through boxes. Mm-hmm. You know, back then, everything was 35 millimeter slides. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So get those changed over into digital and oh. people people are finding them all the time and sending them my way those oh, people that so I climbed cool. with when I was little yeah wow right. and that's just really helpful for me because like in closing uh, that's just what I'm trying to do with my son is is to be able to give him access to whatever experiences interest him positive experiences that is but yeah you know. it's been great talking to you yeah thank you very much Mark. Okay. thank you guys for listening to this episode of the podcast it's always refreshing to listen to how people raise children while introducing them to like backcountry experiences and what it's like to push themselves, you know. Uh, I really admire what Mark's done, and, you know, he's a person like all of us. We have our ups and downs, right, our trials and tribulations, but we persevere, right? <laughs> if you'd like to check him out, you can find him on Instagram, outside.addicts. You can find a link to that in the show notes. If you would like to support the show, please rate, review on iTunes, Google Play, wherever you happen to listen to this. On share it with a friend.
Till next time. Bye.